0: It's time to stop reimagining things and actually start changing them. Tune in to Recalibrate with Samsung, where we'll discuss how technology is changing the way we work, connect, and live our lives. Today on Recalibrate, we welcome back Alok Shah and Derek Johnston, two Samsung Networks professionals who continue their conversation on 5G. This time around, navigating the minefield of technical jargon and getting to the meat of how these tech specs will affect the future of 5G. Now here's your host, Jason Claybrook. Guys,
1: good to have you back here at Recalibrate. So last time we were all together, we talked a little bit about 5G. What is it? You know, what's gonna happen with 4G? And we uh, tease that we we're gonna pop the hood on this and talk a little, little bit more technically, but hopefully, the way people can understand it right so just doing a little bit of homework myself spectrum seems to be a big deal when it comes to 5g so for those that are out there that, that when i say spectrum and they go i have no idea what the hell you're talking about derek what is spectrum for 5g or cellular networks in general
2: sure yeah i think um you know, if people think about their mobile device, um, and they're probably familiar with you know two G, three G, four G technologies, or they've seen how their their service provider kind of sells them their current service on four G LTE. Each of those services are put on a series of, of licensed spectrum that those operators have uh, procured and auction from the FCC. Is that and- expensive? Uh, very expensive process. It's a very limited finite resource. And so and it's you know, it's used for all sorts of things obviously radio and television broadcasting and public safety networks and private networks and all the so- sorts of other other uh, Applications are, are used and so there's competing interests obviously for spectrum and it's it's extremely valuable and costly to
1: procure. So they're buying air Essentially radio waves radio waves, radio waves. okay so that and that takes a long time to buy you just obviously can't go down to Best Buy and pick up spectrum and start Thinking around with it. Can you
2: No, you cannot you have to wait for it to to come open to auction? And so, you know, there are people following news the FCC is Now introducing auctions for some spectrum that's going to be used for 5g. So there's an upcoming spectrum auction I believe for 24 gigahertz which is in the millimeter wave very very high up in the, in the overall Um, range of spectrum that's available. And the reason why, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons why that that spectrum is being looked at for 5G. One is there's a lot of contiguous spectrum, meaning blocks of it uh, are together, which gives the capability of of offering a a larger pipe, if you will, to use kind of very basic terms. And then the second piece is that there's been a series of innovations that folks like ourselves, um, that OEMs have been investigating for over the years of how to leverage that particular spectrum effectively to deliver wireless services. And so... Millimeter wave for from years has been used for kind of point to point or microwave applications. So you know where high data needs to be traveled really really quickly. If you think about like the um, trading on the uh, you know, New York Stock Exchange, things like that, they, they've been used um, to again, transmit trading information from from one location to the next where you can't necessarily trench fiber or what have you. And so, but now that the now these these uh, app, the spectrum is going to be used for five G.
1: So for like mobile or is it still point to point and is that like the when you think point to point is that the big drums that you see on a
3: cell tower on top of a downtown building so so yeah i mean so when it comes to spectrum there's there's all of a sudden been a huge burst of innovation Uh, because the mobile industry for for the last few decades basically all of the radio spectrum that it's used for for cellular services has been between let's say 400 megahertz and uh about five gigahertz right and that includes wi-fi wi-fi has been in in that band as well and so so that's kind of everything that's been done in the sort of cellular and wireless space has been in that range so so that's a range of you know call it zero to six gigahertz right so we, it's a term we call sub six gigahertz Right, so there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of bands. Some of them are for federal users, for DoD. Some of them have been auctioned off or licensed for uh, for use by private companies, mobile operators being among them. But there's a, an interesting kind of set of spectrum that goes above six gigahertz. That's just massive swaths, um, substantially more than than what we've used to date in the sub six. But it's been it's been difficult to use uh, for mobility. No one no one had figured out basically how to do more than kind of direct point to point, as Derek said, communications. And so you know if you imagine, so an example of point to point comes is is from one cell tower to uh, some aggregation point that the mobile operator uses. So you can imagine like one cell tower to another you're passing along information and maybe you don't have uh, an easy way to get fiber to that cell tower to do the what's called backhaul so you do it over uh, over a microwave radio link and so that spectrum up in the millimeter wave band which kind of starts in the call it low 20 gigahertz range and goes way up that had been limited in its applications and in fact a number of companies had basically licensed that spectrum and then never been able to put it to use effectively. So in the in the kind of late '90s, early 2000s, there were a number of companies that that got hold of a bunch of that spectrum and then tried to offer uh, you know broadband services, things like that, but really couldn't do as much with it and ended up going under. And that spectrum had sort of just kind of drifted along without without being effectively utilized. And and so what happened in 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 5G is Samsung and a number of other companies over the last decade have been researching how to take that millimeter wave spectrum and, and do more interesting things with it because it offers tantalizing potential. You're now, you know, everything that we've done to date had been in a chunk of spectrum that was six gigahertz wide, right? Over the course of uh, this year, basically, the FCC is auctioning off spectrum that is more than six gigahertz in total size, just, just this year, right? And it's because... Companies have figured out how to use these different uh, techniques. We call it beam forming, uh, beam steering. There are all these different terms for basically how to use millimeter wave spectrum to achieve uh, mobility. Uh, and the idea is really that each user gets a beam. And these uh, 5G radios have lots of antennas that can create lots of beams. And the beam kind of follows the user so that they have this connection. Um, And um, one of the interesting things about that spectrum is you can do things like bounce off buildings uh, and get benefits like that to be able to continue that beam as the user moves around. And so it takes massive algorithm development. It requires kind of all of the innovations that we've seen in the processing world um, with just massive, massive computation capabilities. And it requires basically physics to help us because the other thing that's cool about millimeter wave is by going up in frequency, uh, the the components get smaller. So what happens is, if you're in the 600 megahertz band, you can fit, you know, a handful of antennas into a box that's two or three feet tall. That's your radio that sits on the cell tower. In the millimeter wave band, you can fit a thousand antennas in a box that's a foot or two uh, in size. It's it's a smaller box that holds substantially more electronics, uh, and so. With that combination of of sort of physics and computation and algorithm development, we've been able to unlock the potential of this spectrum and now. With 5G, we can, we can really take advantage of that and bring substantially higher performance to consumers and businesses.
1: There's a whole lot to unpack there. It kind of reminds me when I first started learning a little bit about how oils drilled. You've got a natural resource, these radio waves, mm-hmm. allocating different spectrum and pretty limited until somebody figured out, hey, I could frack, drill, and do something a little bit different and open up a new swath. Uh, or potential reserves in oil or natural gas and things like that.
3: Pretty similar, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. it's a, It was a, a natural resource that had been underutilized, right? And so there's just all kinds of interesting things that we can do now that we've figured out the technology to do it.
1: You brought up the FCC. So that's a U.S. thing. Is there different governing bodies around the world that are How do do we interoperate when I go on vacation, go to Europe, whenever there's all these different natural resources that are being managed, it sounds like, by other entities?
3: Yeah, well, the first thing we should say is that the FCC has been really forward-looking on efficient use of spectrum, especially over the last decade. You know, we've seen not just all of this activity around millimeter wave and the reality that, you know, we just completed one spectrum auction for millimeter wave spectrum we are about to start a second one, and there's like three more coming later this year. So they've been really forward in, in opening up those spectrum bands for, for private use. They've also done a lot of interesting work, and we can get to this later, around how to share spectrum between different entities. Mm-hmm. And so so we can save that for another another conversation. But, but the FCC has really been forward-looking. There, there are other um, regulatory bodies in other countries that are very similar to the FCC, that do they do, work together? They do work together. It's it's not always that simple because there, there's this idea of harmonizing spectrum, being able to use the mm-hmm. same spectrum across different countries. Because that would be great for for vendors like us, because then you just put in one radio and one set of antennas and it works all over the world. The reality is is it's not quite that simple because in each country spectrum is already being used for other purposes. And so, you know, in the U.S., twenty eight gigahertz, for example, was a millimeter wave band that could be auctioned off. So that was the first band that's been auctioned by the FCC. In other countries, 28 gigahertz is already being used for other things. And so there are certain bands that have been harmonized globally, and so that's great for uh, for the entire ecosystem. And then there are other uh, situations where there's a band that's only available in one country or a set of countries. Uh, and so from a design perspective, you know, if you think about, if you look at your cell phone, you know, your cell phone supports at this point 20 different spectrum bands. 20 plus different spectrum bands. Because in one country, in the U.S., for example, you know, you could be used, each operator is using three, four, five different bands to serve customers. Mm -hmm. And then when you take your phone around the world, that needs to still work, right? And so uh, so you've got other bands that are only going to work in Europe, are only going to work in Asia. And so it's incredible (laughs) what the ecosystem has done to be able to deal with the fact that spectrum isn't always harmonized. It's great when it is, and sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, an example to Luke's point about you know harmonization is I think there's been general discussions still ongoing here in the U.S., but that you know the two two bands that have been at least harmonized across some countries who have been already started the regulatory processes 3.05, and then um, twenty eight gigahertz, and so those are bands I think that Korea has allocated recently for their for their five G build out. As you said, like those those won't necessarily line up. In other kind of regions or countries in the world, in uh, certain cases, but um, and that's where some of the complexity. You know, as we we talked in previous episodes of where you your handset is supporting all these different bands, and that as naturally that grows, the complexity of the device grows, and you're going to see that natural migration away from kind of the two G, three G technologies to more kind of just four G, five G to support all the bands that are supported for those various uh, generations.
1: That makes the smartphone that much more impressive when you start thinking that it's supporting 20 different bands of spectrum. How many yeah, antennas like, is that? I know you got is, a Wi-Fi. Yeah. And we 4G, uh, 5G is coming, but is that just a separate antenna and spectrum is really software within or is it?
3: No, no, this stuff is hard and, and physics is, is what it is, right? And so. Sounds like we're defying physics. No, you, you know, there's there's only so much you can do to defy physics. Uh, ultimately, you have to just uh, cope with it, right? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, the number of antennas in a phone today, gosh, uh, it's it's pretty incredible. Because you got Bluetooth, well, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, Bluetooth operates in multiple bands. Uh, Wi-Fi operates in multiple bands, and then your 3G, 4G operates in multiple bands. And then on top of that, you've got this technology called multi-in, multi-out, MIMO. And so, even within a band, you have multiple antennas uh, in order to be able to basically operate multiple streams at the same time. And and then in 5G, what's incredible about 5G is that the number of antennas is actually growing not just on the radio side, we talked about that, but it's going to grow on the phone as well. And so, phones are going to have you 32, 64 antennas just for a given 5G band. And if it supports multiple 5G bands, then you might need to replicate that number of antennas. And so real estate in the phone is really, really hard. There are some benefits, right? So the fact that we're moving toward kind of bigger phones so that you can enjoy videos more effectively, that gives you a little more real estate as a vendor to fit more antennas in, right? But it's hard. It's really, really hard. And what the ecosystem has done in smartphone development is quite incredible.
1: It's you bring up ecosystem. So with five G there's this movement towards opening up the ecosystem, open RAN. And there's this O RAN Alliance. I know Samsung's become a member of the O RAN alliance, but what is is it's different than LTE or 4G or anything that's really been done before. It it sounds, you know, just surface level like, you know, the enterprise has been moving to open environments, open APIs and open stacks and open everything to get best of breed applications in the enterprise or into consumers hands. Is that the same thing that's going on with Open RAN and uh, these
3: network build-outs? Yeah, to some degree and I, and I would say it's not limited to Open RAN. We can start there but there's all kinds of interesting innovations from industry groups around the world that are that are driving open source software and open interfaces throughout the network. So Open, open RAN uh, is really it's, it's, a, it's something that the industry has sort of been trying to get to for quite a while. There were, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there were interfaces that were defined. There was one called uh, CPRI, CIPRI. There's one called OBSI. And those interfaces were driven by the vendor community uh, and large vendors in particular. And so what happened was the large vendors were not always as excited about opening up all these interfaces. So they were sort of quote unquote open. They were open with caveats, let's say, and so an interface like Cipri has, you know, uh, uh, really been deployed all over the place, but it's not truly open. What's Cipri used for? Yeah, so Cipri is uh, basically the interface between the radio that sits on top of the cell tower and the base, what we call the baseband processing that sits at the base of the tower. So it's that
1: little green box you at, see at the bottom of the Yeah, so there's tower.
3: a cabinet at the bottom of the tower usually, and, and uh, there's a processing unit that goes into that cabinet. And so the radio does kind of the, the RF, the, um, the spectrum side of it, let's say, and then the processing box, the baseband unit, does the rest of, of uh, what that base station is doing. Mm-hmm. And so Cypri is the interface that runs over the fiber between those two boxes. And so Cipri is kind of all over the industry, everybody uses it, but everybody uses their own version of it. It's like um, Baskin Robbins, you got 32 flavors of Cipri. There's Yeah, there's a yeah, lot I of flavors.
2: Think, and what it's, it's like, what is a common? Public, uh, public radio, radio interface, interface which yeah. is not necessarily common because yeah, it's, it's so just got common their own. But yeah, the quotes exactly. around the common. Yeah, yeah
3: it, it, so it's out there, right? It's used, um, but it, it hasn't provided operators with the full benefits of kind of openness. Right, And so what the operators did, and really smart, what they did this time was they said, you know what, we're going to drive this. We're going to, if we want to get the benefits, the full benefits out of it, then we need to drive it. And so they first formed, uh, a number of operators first formed a group called the XRAN Forum. And then uh, a decision was made, uh, a similar industry forum driven by China, let's say driven by China Mobile, that's called the CRAN Alliance. And they decided to merge those together. And so XRAN Forum plus CRAN Alliance became O-RAN Alliance. The Orion Alliance has kind of just gotten off the ground, but between their predecessors and that group, they're really uh, being driven by the operators uh, who have said, you know, look, we're going to do it really open this time. We're going to put our own efforts into it to make sure that the vendors kind of get in line and truly open up these interfaces. And so so it's pretty exciting, you know, as uh, as a challenger, as Samsung uh, networks, we um, we see a lot of, uh, of value in having an open RAN where you can bring kind of best-in-class solutions for different parts of the network and bring kind of faster innovation, so ultimately. So
1: before O-RAN, you had to, or open RAN, any real openness, you had to buy all one vendor stuff to build a network or you didn't it, to, it sounds exactly. like you get to plug and play now and maybe it's a supply chain issue and who's got what on the shelf or... So something there, works better. Something, you know, yeah. I mean, makes the, a
3: match. The cellular industry has always benefited from some open interfaces, right? The reason that cellular has done so well as an ecosystem is because some of our interfaces are open. So between the radio network and the core network that sits at the the carrier's central office, that interface uh, has generally always been open, uh, and so you can so operators have been able to mix and match some parts of the network. But within the RAN, between the within the radio access network, it's always been kind of a single vendor play, and, and so uh, that's that's the part that's now being kind of opened up, uh, kind of within that black box. Are so, the yeah, incumbents
1: so you, dragging their feet, or not wanting to do that, or is there just really?
2: So your point, it's been a it's been a you know it's been a single vendor solution approach primarily that the cellular industry has been beholden to, or operators have been beholden to. So. For example, if they want to do innovation on their RAN, they've got to go to their, you know, single vendor for that particular market or what have you. Some, you know, a lot of operators do use different vendors for their RAN, but it's usually kind of a geographical split, if you will. And at Oleg's point, it's like that RAN will then, you know, can interface with a, with a
1: common core or not. Um, like I could but, have a different one in Dallas versus D.C. Mm-hmm, correct.
2: But again, you're you're beholden to one you know 1 OEM to give you kind of new features and functionality on your RAN and so i think what what the push has been is now kind of let's open up the RAN let's go kind of more in the direction that you know kind of IT networks have gone with open interfaces and things like that so that i can offer and i can i can innovate more quickly on my RAN and offer different features and bring them to market quicker and to do that you know over a kind of white box or cots you know software driven functions that are much more easy to kind of deploy and more efficient and cost
1: effective to do so. So is that going to bring five G in faster? Because it feels like every time we have a new G network, it takes several years and to be able to deploy like a decade to get to where everybody's got it, or it feels like everybody's got it. Is that going to speed it up, or is it? Does it matter?
3: Yeah, you know, we we do see. Um, 5G overall moving faster than any other um, generation of technology th- uh, thus far. So from from standards to initial implementations, it's been incredible the speed at which um, at which and really again the operators have driven this forward because they have business reasons that they need to do that. I, I think Open RAN and open interfaces uh, do absolutely have the potential to kind of accelerate from here on. If you if you think about not just the the radio part of the RAN, but the processing part of the RAN. We're seeing a move toward virtualization. And so you talked earlier about enterprises have kind of been pushing open source software, open interfaces to drive this kind of open innovation within offices and and, um, and business environments. We're, uh, we're seeing so, some of those same things come to the cellular network with virtualization. Because now you have you know, a virtual a virtual machine running on a set of servers. And these are now not specialized hardware, they're general purpose hardware servers, right? From kind of the, the folks that we buy PCs from today. And so that virtualization platform enables a mix of different vendors to come in and, and bring innovative solutions. And so so on one hand, so you don't have you don't have to build a lot of custom hardware, right? On that processing side, which maybe you did in the past. And that and you know custom hardware development takes time. So you're sort of saving that time by, by leveraging an existing ecosystem of, of uh, server components, things like that. And then on the other hand, you've got your virtualization uh, framework in place. You've got kind of orchestration and management of all of that. And you, you now have the ability to plug in kind of multiple software vendors running on that single platform such that, you know, if you're not, get, if you're not getting what you want out of one vendor... You know, it's possible to bring in another one and and move move things along faster. So, so we do think there's certainly the potential for for five G rollouts to really accelerate from here.
1: How does that benefit consumers? How does that benefit enterprises to have uh, this more open deployment model?
2: Well, I think the you know, and and to Luke's point about why you know the operators are pushing this for you know a variety of reasons i think one is, is there's a natural evolution of you know as a network operator you're constantly looking to make them you know design deploy and operate my network in a more efficient manner and so that's that's one set of goals i think the the other set of goals too is at the, at the very end is i want to be able to deliver new innovative solutions to my you know to my subscribers whether they're businesses or consumers and to do that in a quick fashion to be able to kind of deploy those services and get them to market faster. And I think that's where that's ultimately the vision that I think many of the service operators have in terms of what Open RAN and virtualization will, will provide them is with a new, you know, that kind of new RAN will be able to give them that flexibility to offer
3: uh, new services and new applications for, for consumers. Yeah, I mean the the intention is to be able to try out new services much more quickly, right? The investment to get to a new service offering can be much lower. And so that enables operators to do things that are specific to the needs of a particular set of businesses, right? Um you can you can bring up a service very quickly, it doesn't take off, you can always take that service down, right, without having wasted a huge investment in equipment and, and uh uh, infrastructure.
1: Is there a service you could think of that's coming that's just not there, hasn't been there yet? If I'm, let's say, I'm a train operator, at a manufacturing facility, or what have you, where the openness helps, or is it just five G altogether or spectrum? You know, I read something about network slicing. Maybe that is that part of OpenRAN or just five G or.
3: Yeah, it's not so. Network slicing is definitely a very sort of interesting uh, innovation that's coming. Uh, it it's not specific to 5G, but the reality is that in order to effectively implement slicing, you've got to uh, kind of revamp a lot of your your core infrastructure, which is going to happen as part of kind of the 5G transition. And so it's sort of de facto part of 5G, let's say. But is it easier with OpenRAN or? Yeah, so definitely by having kind of a virtualized infrastructure it's a lot easier the idea of network slicing is you basically create a slice of your network from core all the way through to the spectrum all the way through to the radio right so that includes your radio network your your transport network your core your services and so what 5g enables is the ability to kind of customize each a to bring up a lot of slices you know doesn't what do you use the slices more? for Yeah, so each slice can offer kind of a customized experience for users. Uh, So if, for example, you have one kind of business that needs a lot of data throughput but doesn't care as much about latency, you can have a slice that's kind of customized for that set of use cases, right? If you have one that's really focused on latency but they're not going to use a lot of data or they really need this ultra-reliability capability that's coming in 5G, you you can kind of shift, you can turn the knobs basically on each slice so that it meets the needs of that set of customers, and they, ha- and then you can you know segment that data effectively. If if for example you've got uh, a slice that's focused on kind of public safety, and that data requires a different level of security, that's something that you can kind of manage within that slice. So it's you know going back to your your question about is there an application that that it that uh, that comes to enterprises? Maybe not. Maybe there isn't something that just was impossible to do in LTE, but but with 5G network slicing you can just you can get there much faster, right um, You can bring up that service, you can bring up that slice much more easily and over time we may even see enterprises being able to manage their own slice right in some way you know you give them an API or some set of interfaces so that they can turn the knobs in a way that they need to. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work you know, those interfaces have to be very clearly defined you know the infrastructure needs to be built so that a given enterprise can do that, but the potential is there with slicing.
1: Where are we at with building out this infrastructure? I mean,
3: we, we talked a little
1: about 5G and we know that there was some markets that opened up and some advertising last year. But so 5G's already here for sure, but where where are we?
2: Um, so, yeah, I think you had last year, you know, the operators or Verizon specifically had launched their, their 5G home service, which was 5G for fixed wireless service, so again, providing broadband services to homes, and so that was in four markets. I think uh, each of the four operators have been kind of aggressively pushing to build out their 5G networks here in the U.S. So they've announced markets this year, so deployments are happening as we speak. Uh, and so you've got kind of 5G NR, the, the, the mobile kind of standard is, is now being deployed across the U.S. And so I think many of those U.S. operators have announced anywhere from 7 to 12, 15, 21 markets. And so I think, you know, you start to see it grow. It's going to take some time to get kind of the you know, a really broad, dense, nationwide 5G network, but it's here.
1: Cool. Guys, thanks for coming in. This one was a little bit more technical than the last one, but there's still a lot more to unpack with this thing. There's a lot to learn. So thanks for coming in and catch you next time. Right, thanks,
0: thanks, so thanks for listening to this episode of recalibrate for previous and upcoming episodes or for more of our content you can head to samsung-networks.com or find our podcast on apple podcasts and spotify